Uh, Michael's from a Sephardic Jewish background. For those of you who don't know uh, about him, his grandmother was raised in Turkey in the rabbi's home, and uh, he came to faith in Yeshua in his early 20s and immediately felt a call uh, to, to ministry and identified with his Jewish uh, roots of that faith in Yeshua and uh, pursued uh, his education and, and ministry. And he came on staff in 1991, and we were married in 1992. <laughs> and the rest is history. Uh, but we've been leading the congregation since 1994. I can tell you my husband has a passion First and foremost, for God, as you saw in worship this morning in God's presence, and the passion to see Jewish people come to see their Messiah. And so I know he has a good teaching he's going to give to us today, so uh, get your notes out. And if you need a notebook, let me know. I have a few uh, uh, left up here, and we're just going to hear his teaching today. Baruch Hashem. Let's pray. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, we, we thank you for your power and your person in our midst. Abba, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and more importantly, change our lives. Lord, we thank you for good teaching and sound doctrine, but God, we want it to impact our lives, Lord, to change us and to help us to let the light of Messiah shine through us. So we, Lord, invite your presence and your spirit to speak to us today. In Yeshua's name, and everyone said, Amen. Okay, I've been given a, quite a task I initially had 50 minutes, but my wife said, get it on track. <laughs> so we'll try to do it in 30 minutes and, and to tighten it up a, a little bit to keep uh, the schedule going. So I'm going to be speaking on the parables uh, of Yeshua through Jewish eyes. It's really important to understand the context and the culture behind the teachings of Yeshua to really get the most from them. It's something that is often missed. Um, as people approach the study of God's word, you probably uh, uh, more obviously in the Gentile church world. Um, and it's something that needs to be recaptured. If we fail to understand the cultural forces at work, we will fail to properly understand the many, many of the things that Yeshua taught us. So both Hebrew culture and Hebrew literature are the milieu or the cultural surroundings from which the parables or Meshulim in Hebrew, um, of Yeshua originate. Gary Burge uh, says this, If then cultural values are presupposed within every faithful community, both now and 2,000 years ago, then the stories we read in the scripture may presuppose themes that are completely obscure to us. Moreover, when we read the scripture, we may misrepresent its message because we simply do not understand the cultural instincts of the first century. We live 2,000 years distant. We live in the West, and the ancient Middle East is not native territory for us. And for that reason, right, the scripture says study to show yourself approved. We need to dig down a little deeper than the usual things to find that context. Even if we understand the bottom line, and say, Rabbi, get to the bottom line, the bottom line of what Yeshua is saying, the journey of coming to understand his teachings is in itself further revelation of truth. This revelation is used to deepen and strengthen our knowledge of God, who we love and serve. Amen? So since um, 
I've got truncated. Let's get right into it. The first thing is the purpose of the parables or the Meshulim. Parables were regularly used by rabbis. Rabbis during the time of Yeshua used parables to communicate truths of Torah about God and his character to the people. Um, Amy Jill Levine says this, Parables were abundant and popular in the rabbinic literature codified in the 3rd through 6th centuries. Parables are a genre well-suited to oral teaching and tradition, easily passed down through generations. Therefore, parables were likely to be popular in the eras before the rabbinic literature was codified, i.e., the time of Yeshua. Parables were considered a means of studying Torah. Because of the everyday language and imagery of the Meshulim, the parables, they became an effective tool to help people comprehend Torah truths. So many people are confused when they read the Torah. What does that mean for me? And so the Meshulim, the parables, were used to do this. Parables have the ability to take even complicated concepts and present them in a form that's more easily understood. And think of Yeshua and his teaching. The rabbis commonly use parables to deliver sermons in the synagogues and study the Torah in the academies, notes David Stern. In fact, they became convinced that the parable form itself was created for the studying of Torah. So look, look at this statement from Shir Hashirim Rabbah. Until Solomon invented the Mashal, okay? Okay, now, just so you know, Mashal or Meshalim includes parables, but it also includes proverbs and sayings and anecdotes as well. So until Solomon invented the Mishal, no one could understand Torah at all. Think of that in light of Yeshua, who goes around telling, right, parables. Why? So people could understand Torah. And through that, understand God and get to know God. Parables help the listener understand the character of God. The character of God is demystified through the parable. You know, in a lot of religions, God is a mystery. Okay, not so in the the Hebrew culture. God is, right, to be, his character is to be known. Okay, and the parables do this. Yeshua comes, right, as God in the flesh to make him known to his people. Um, A mashal brings characters and stories that possess qualities that the listener can compare to God. They help people learn about who God is through the natural order and human relationships. The Meshalim are meant to take what was unknowable about God and his character and by using comparative language make it understandable to the listener. So it's the deep mysteries of God. The parable was meant to break it down in a way that you and I could understand who God is. So what is a parable? Or a mashal. Parables are stories that point to a specific truth. Parables have a point or a truth that they are meant to convey. The listener is drawn into the story and its plots, which helps them connect, okay, to the point being made and apply it to their lives. Stern defines the rabbinic parable as an elusive narrative told for the ulterior purpose. 
right? The purpose, Yeshua didn't just go telling parables because he had nothing else to do or nothing else to teach. He wanted to convey a truth about God to the people, usually to praise or disparage a specific situation of the speaker slash author and the hearer slash reader. It draws a series of parallels between the story recounted in the narrative and the actual situation that the people were in. These parallels, however, are not drawn explicitly. The audience is left to derive them for themselves. In other words, it draws the audience in. The audience now becomes a participant. They need to think. They need to choose. They are now part of the narrative themselves. It's powerful. It really is. And we're going to see it as this unfolds uh, and as the teaching goes on. So let's move forward. The parables are illustrations meant to teach deeper spiritual truth. Study is part of the Hebrew culture. (laughs) Jewish people love books, love to read. You know, my wife would say, you know, when she was going to NYU, she loved to go into the stacks and breathe, right? She just loved, you know, books, you know, come to my house. We love books. Uh, we fell over, you know, the nice art scroll books that in the C-doors and all the compendiums. Um, love to study. Study is important, but it has a purpose. It's not study for study's sake. It's study to know the living God. That's what the parable does. Through cleverly devised twists and turns that usually occur, it brings home a poignant spiritual truth in a very natural way. If you were a carpenter and I start talking to you about carpentry, and then show how God is the great builder and how God puts things together. Well, you get it in a different way that you wouldn't get it if I didn't tell you using a parable. So the parables are word pictures that are used to teach the realities of God in a way that engages the imagination of the hearer. I don't know about you, but when I start to hear Yeshua's parables, my mind paints a picture of what he's saying. Okay, and that's the point. They're meant to paint a picture for us, to get us to engage our imagination. Both Yeshua and the rabbis used this method of teaching, using simple stories to explain complex ideas of religion and the human experience. These stories of everyday life were used to take things that are beyond our comprehension. I mean, think about it. God, just his name and his person, is so far beyond our comprehension And the fact that we know a little bit of who he is, is remarkable. C. Sometimes the meaning of a parable is revealed in the parable. That's what I mean. Spiritual dullness on the part of the listener will sometimes cause the parable to be explained by the rabbi. And we see Yeshua do this. It is because the goal for, for the people, right, for the teacher toward the people is that they would just understand. You know, so a lot of times today in our modern teaching and preaching, we, people come up with fancy teachings that often blow over the heads of folks. Okay, the parable <clears throat> is meant to convey a truth that people could grab hold of about God and incorporate it into their life. Um... This is called the nishmal, or the meaning, of the parable. It's an exegetic explanation that forms part of the Mashal's composition, thus compensating 
or the missing narrative. We see Yeshua do this in the parable of the sower, for instance, right? He tells the story, right? And then his parable, his, his Talmudim, he sees that there's a, they're a little spiritually dull. They're not getting it. And what does he do? He says, now let me explain to you the nishmal. Let me explain to you what the parable of the sower means. And he goes and he explains it to him. That is very Jewish to do that. Parables use everyday imagery to explain deeper spiritual realities. The cultural background of parables must be... Well, let me skip that one. I don't want want that one. Sorry. We all can relate to -to day-to-day activities. And that's where the parable looks to connect. I always imagine when Yeshua tells the parable of the sower, this isn't my imagination, that behind him is a man sowing seed. And he's speaking to folks who are used to sowing seed. And so people are getting exactly because they've sown seed on hard ground, okay? And they've sown seed in fertile soil. And they understand that what he's talking about more than the seed is the soil and how important the soil is. And then Yeshua turns it and saying, it's the soil of our heart. And it gets me to think, how is the soil of my heart? How is the condition of my heart? Is it conducive for the word of God to take root and grow and change my life? Or is it hard and crusty where it goes in and it takes root for a little while, but as soon as something comes against it, it's gone and it's wiped out? These people got it. Yeshua used it to be able to explain that to the folks. David Stern, who is an authority on rabbinic parables, says the Mishal represents the greatest effort to imagine God in all rabbinic literature. The rabbis talked about God in parables. The creative process of conceptual thought brings life to simple stories about kings. You hear this, right, in Yeshua's parables, householders, or fathers who resemble some aspect of God's character, like the prodigal son. How was the father in that story? The father was eager to see the son return. That's about the, the character of God is what he's speaking to. Do you know what? There's still people that say that they are servants of Yeshua, they love Yeshua, but don't really experience the love of God. Because they think, what they've done has disqualified them. And Yeshua is saying, no, the character of God is that you're not disqualified. In fact, God is eager to see you return. Community leaders and old rabbis tried to communicate the divine character and sought to comprehend God's will by telling stories about daily living. They recognized the affinity between the natural realm and the ways of God. We believe God created everything and made it good. Well, guess what? In that creation is a story that relates spiritually to our lives. Let me give you a quick example from the Tanakh. I'm going to truncate it because we all know David, right? Man after God's own heart. But David had some issues. When David was supposed to be out, right, at the time that kings go to war, he wasn't. And instead, he gazes out of his balcony and he sees uh, Bathsheba bathing on the roof. 
and he's attracted to her and he calls her up and he has relations with her and she conceives and has a son. And now David, trying to cover up his initial sin, commits another sin and has her husband sent out to a dangerous part of the front line and he's killed. David, the man after God's own heart, the shepherd, the sweet psalmist of Israel, Nathan uses a parable to appeal to the heart of David. For what purpose? Why a parable? Why this parable? Because God's desire is that David would turn, that David would repent, that David would come back to him. So he tells a parable. (laughs) He came to and said, in a certain city there were two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had vast flocks and herds, David can relate as a shepherd. But the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and and reared. It had grown up with him and his children. It ate from his plate, drank from his cup, lay on his chest. It was like a daughter to him. One day a traveler visited the rich man, and instead of picking an animal from his own flock or herd to cook for the visitor, he took the poor man's lamb and cooked it for the man who had come to him. David is furious as he's hearing this parable. He's saying, my goodness, what is wrong with that man? To take from the poor the only, the only lamb he had, the only possession he had, and he's going to give it. Boy, he's incensed. That parable speaks to David Hart. It gets him stoked, and he's like, no, this is injustice, and I'll fix it. And then Nathan says, you are that man. And David gets it. He gets it. That parable drew him in. He got emotionally connected being a shepherd himself. And David's broken. I did that. It's that visceral, emotional response of David that is the power of the parable. God's explanation of the parable, here is what Adonai, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you as king over Israel. I blessed you. You're like that rich man. You have everything. I've given you everything. I blessed you. And if that had been too little, I would have added a lot more to you. So why have you shown so much contempt for the word of Adonai and done what is evil? You murdered Uriah the Hitti with the sword and taken his wife as your own and put him to death with the sword of the people of Ammon. And David, we know the story is broken. I don't th- that's, that's done on purpose. That parable, that story is used to convey the heart of God. David got it, message received, repentance. The purpose of that story was accomplished. David repents. And we, you know what? We, 2,000 years later, often can't relate that God could forgive that. We wouldn't be so forgiving in our congregations today of such a man. Yet we sing his songs every week. We call him a man after God's heart. Yet this man was, but God's purpose was restoration. There's a purpose. It was accomplished. There's a lot more. I'm going to go into four. Stay on time. Yeshua's parable 
of the contemptible friend. We're going to get to one parable of Yeshua. Yeshua uses parables to make his listeners see God's character in a new light. Often we have a perception of God. Hear me, that is incorrect. Or one that has been imposed on us from others. Yeshua uses parables to help them see and come into clearer and greater revelation of the God of Israel. Brad Young says the parables of the contemptible friend and the corrupt judge, the sister parables, um, they role play with the divine character of God by exaggerated characterizations of actions unlike God. They show a, 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 an action that is totally not like God, and they use, he, they, it's used to say no. And we'll get into it. How much more is God different than that man? So he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him in the middle of the night and say to him, first of all, this is why context is important. Because someone told this story to me and said, suppose you have a friend who comes to you in the middle of the night. You say, call the police. He obviously has gone off his rockers. They come with a little thing and they put a jacket on him and they take him away. What are you doing? 21st century, that's, even a friend, you'd say that's bizarre but not in this culture. And he says, in the middle of the night, let me three loaves of bread, 7-Elevens down the road. Because a friend of mine who has been traveling has just arrived in my house and I have nothing for him to eat. Now, the one inside may answer, don't bother me, the door's already shut, my children are with me in bed, I can't give up to give you anything. But I tell you, even if he won't get up because he's the man's friend, Yet because of his persistence and Stern, David Stern, from the complete Jewish Bible, Stern, translates it, yet because of the man's chutzpah, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. For the sake of time, I just want to give you the main point. I'm, I'm scrapping the rest of my notes to make this point. Scholars say that the... Hebrew behind the Greek word persistence would um, is closer to the Hebrew is closer to Mishnaic Hebrew than it is biblical Hebrew. And the word that best describes perseverance or persistence in Hebrew is the word chutzpah. But chutzpah in that century, okay, in that um, uh, purity of time because today it has a little bit of a negative connotation but in that time it had a positive conversation that a man has chutzpah to go before God with brazen tenacity but it's a good thing why? why could we go before God? is it arrogance? no it's not arrogance God has made us sons and daughters we have a legal right granted by God to go before him and petition him for all that's in his house. Chutzpah. Often we go before God and we cower before God and we say, please God, and we beg God. And this parable is telling us that's the wrong posture before God. You should go before God as one that has chutzpah, one who has been granted access to the Father, by the Father. You're not presuming access. You've been granted access. How does that change the way I perceive God now? 
how I petition God, how I pray before God, that God has given me a right to go before him like Yaakov, who wrestled with the angel of the Lord and said, I will not let you go until you bless me, chutzpah. That's how, you know what? You need a miracle in your life, in your family, in your situation. You need to go before God with some chutzpah, with some brazen tenacity and say, God, I'm not coming in arrogance. I'm coming because you've allowed me to come as your child. And God, I want, there's nothing wrong with saying to God, God, I want everything that you've promised me. I'll tell you a quick story in closing. Dr. Bill, this is amazing. This is a miracle that's happened today. That I <laughs> got us on time. I had a quick story. We were newly married, and um, been married a few years and out of the house. And when we would go to visit my parents' house, I find myself acting like a guest. Because, you know, you've been out of the house, and you don't just go into the refrigerator now that you're out on your own. And and I can remember the faces of my parents looking at me like, what are you doing asking me for things? Go and get it. You're my son. Everything that I have is yours. Have at it. Chutzpah. What are you doing acting like you're shrinking back? You're my son. All that I have is yours. Take it. That's God's attitude toward us. He's not withholding stuff. We don't have to beg God for stuff. We need to approach God with some chutzpah and say, God, you promised it. I'm allowed to have it. I'm allowed to take it. Amen? Boy, that changes the way I see God and even approach God in prayer. Different than what we normally experience. That's the power of a parable. And when it's studied, when we dig out the cultural context and truth. So, Avinu Akeno, our Father and our King, we bless you and thank you. Abba, we say, help us, God, to go before you, God, with that same tenacity and confidence, Lord, that we are your children, that you love us and have called us and desire great things for us. Lord, we believe it and receive it. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Thanks for listening. Okay, Dr. Bill's at 2.40, so you can either start now, or if your folks think you need a break, you just ate. So, so the rabbi is saying, listen, take the next break, and we'll give Dr. Bill...